Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network. I just want to let you know that our sponsor, Harry Tarantula, is looking for people who do comics in Canada for signings, events, and Q&As. So if you do a comic, they want to hear from you. They're located at 6979 Young Street, and you can give them a call at 647-430-1263. We're looking for people like our past guests, Ramon Perez, Marcus Toe, Kelman Andrasovsky, Ricky Lima, Megan Carter, Hope Nicholson. If you do a comic, they want you. Email them at us at harryt.com or call them again at 647-430-1263 and ask for Leon or Jeremy and tell them Aaron sent you. Listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries, with your host, Aaron Broverman. Hello, fanboys and fangirls. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble. I am your host, Aaron Broverman. Uh, you found us on the Never Sleeps Network at neversleepsnetwork.com or on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast needs met. Uh, today in studio, we have Sean Daly. Uh, Sean does a webcomic called Terraquil. He's also a chiptune artist, so he makes uh, music for video games and those sorts of things. Welcome, Sean. How are you? you thanks i'm doing well how are you doing i'm very good the reason you're in here is because so many people that i know were like you have to get sean daly on your podcast our audio editor uh, joseph yanni has worked with you yeah he sent me a message directly going you have to get sean on on your podcast and uh, here's his contact information and please do that and then uh, our friend jason clark at an mm-hmm. elegant weapon yep. who's had you on his podcast a number of times was like you have to get sean on your podcast why aren't you getting sean on your podcast so because there was such a groundswell of demand for sean daly from the people that know i was like sure like let's let's get him in here and cool. stuff yeah well i'd like to thank both of those guys because they're both really they're cool guys like you know them yeah. obviously yeah they're, they're tons of fun nice nice so usually how this works is i want to know a little bit about you like where did you grow up generally so i i came up in um in scarborough which isn't too far from here uh it's about a you know less than a half an hour drive uh so i came up in, in that area and then moved to toronto maybe yeah about 10 years actually maybe more than 10 years ago uh, so for the last little bit, it's just been like pure Toronto. Nice. Yeah. What do you? What did your parents do? They had a, a number of jobs. Actually, uh, we were always, you know, pretty well taken care of. Thankfully, uh, my mother. I think actually she was a she worked for a book publishing company. Cool. And my father worked for Yellow Pages. Oh, nice. So, yeah, not bad. I've worked for the new incarnation of Yellow Pages, which is like their web component right doing profiles of like small businesses in toronto oh cool So every time you like look up a listing online you get a little bit more and like a story of the business that's so, neat that's kind of yeah cool. yeah yeah so i don't know i have something in common with your dad <laughs> yeah you do <laughs> anyway um what kind of stuff were you into in 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 high school you said you were in whitby yeah yeah i was out in durham region for a little while there and yeah we had nothing to do back in high school we would kind of just wander around uh, we never really caused trouble. We were, you know, there wasn't really many incidents where, you know, stuff was going down. But we hung out. We watched movies. We listened to music. We were in bands. So we played a lot of shows. What kind of bands? Punk bands. Punk, yeah, like we all garage, punk, like. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, uh, there was like a huge punk, you know, resurgence in the mid 90s that lasted until about the mid 2000s. And we were kind of caught up in that. Nice. Yeah. So we were all, yeah, about bands and playing shows and stuff like that. What was your band called? Uh, Free the Future, which was named after an episode of Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really lame. A lot of fun, though. I mean, we still have you know our albums that we did and all the music that we recorded it was pretty cool cool yeah did it go anywhere were you like playing independent shows we did yeah we did a lot of shows actually it was every other weekend we were playing a show but you know we weren't making any money it was just like you know you show up you have some fun and then 
that's it. Go yeah. home, go to sleep. There wasn't really any prospects to make a living off of this. So what did you do after high school? I think I took a year off uh, just to kind of make some money. And then I went to school after that at the CBC building downtown. Uh, Toronto. Oh, cool. Yeah, I took their, I can't remember the name of the the program. It was their audio program, anyhow. Okay, at the CBC? At the CBC, yeah. That's some great broadcast training right it, there. it was cool because they have like you know uh top of the line technologies down there yeah you know their consoles and their equipment is just outstanding and the instructors were pretty good too so it was a, it was a good experience it was only a year and a half but i learned a lot so is is it because of your love of music that you got into like doing audio engineering that's exactly that's cool. exactly right yeah yeah i just i didn't really know what i wanted to do after high school but we were in band so it was like okay something with music and then found this program got in completed it and then i started interning at a recording studio cool yeah so it all kind of worked out what was the recording studio uh it's one just down uh, you know ronson's Vale village in yeah the west end yeah uh it was right down there called euphonic sound i worked there for about six years cool. um, yeah a lot of bands come through there and stuff yeah oh yeah tons of bands that was probably the best thing about it was working with you know full bands because you know the setup that goes into working with a band like miking all the amps and the drum kit and getting all you know just all that stuff is so much fun so who so who came in like anyone we would know uh probably not no it was mostly independent artists uh, okay uh, a few juno award-winning artists and uh, the junos yeah Can- the canada's <laughs> answer to the grammys yeah, that's right yeah yeah canada's grammys there was a few yeah artists who won junos who came in nice uh, and other than that it was a lot of just independent musicians like uh singer songwriter types and we did some uh corporate work as well commercials and stuff like that oh cool like like voiceover and like voiceover yeah stuff like that we did some work with sea world petro canada uh, a few big brands nice it was good i was working at a a grocery store at Uh, the time okay doing nights uh, which was a really fun job, by the way. Uh, working, what's, what's fun about grocery store? Well, working nights especially because uh, there's nobody around. There's nobody you can, there. Yeah, you can kind of work at your own pace as long as you get all your stuff done. You're good. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so I was working at a grocery store uh, doing nights. And then during the day, I would intern at the studio. Okay. And that's, you know, it was kind of a few months of just, you know, no sleep at all. You're just, you're working all night and then you go work at a studio all day and then you you repeat the cycle. So I was doing that for a while and eventually my boss who at Euphonic Sound, he said, why don't you just come live with me? We'll keep you fed. We'll give you a place to live. We can't pay you, but we can at least get you downtown. You'll be working at a studio full time. You'll have food. You'll have a place to sleep and a place to live. So I ended up. Where doing were you that. living before that? I was living with my folks. Okay, and you yeah. just you just wanted to get out of there. Yeah, I just wanted to get out, do the whole you know independent thing. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't living on my own. I was living with you know my boss. Yeah, but, but you know, out of, out of your parents. Yeah, house. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. I, I get that. I get that for sure. Yeah. So and he had a bunch of comics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He he was a fan of comics, uh, and that's where I first started reading. Nice. What was the first one you read again? Uh, it was, uh, oh man, Louis Riel. Oh yeah, yeah, the Chester Brown yeah. one. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. and that's kind of interesting because for a lot of people, their entree to comics is like superheroes. And yeah, stuff. that's for right. For you, it was like more independent comics. Yeah. So, did that change your outlook on what you thought comics were? That's exactly it. Actually, I read okay. this and I was like, wait a second. Comics aren't just superheroes and, you know, stuff like that. Comics are uh, a legitimate form of, of literature, you know? Right. It, it really changed my perception about all that stuff. And I grew up with superheroes, not the comics. Like, I could never, you know, comics in Canada back in the 90s were five bucks back then. Some of them, you know, it was insane. Yeah, it was sort of the boom bust period yeah that's right it was like really expensive at first in the 90s because 
everybody was buying comics. So there was the foil covers mm-hmm. and they would jack up the price. There was the poly bag yep. comics and they would jack up the price. Before the bottom fell out on like the speculator market, it was super, super expensive. Yeah, that's right. And then they kind of went back to like the two ninety nine type of thing. Right. But, but it took them a long time yeah, to yeah, do yeah, that, you yeah. know? So I couldn't afford comics back when I was young. But if I was lucky, I would get, you know, uh, the Marvel trading cards, like the Fleer stuff from like 95, 96. Yeah, that was awesome. The ones that form like a puzzle when you put them together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, if, yeah I would sometimes get those. I, If I had some extra money, I would pick up the encyclopedias, like the uh, character encyclopedias that kind of tell you the origins of the characters and have artwork in them. Nice. So I did grow up with superheroes just never the comics always the supplemental material right like even the animated shows like spider-man and batman i'm sure you i loved batman the animated series it's probably one of the best cartoons yep. ever and then at that time uh the x-men cartoon was also uh on fox yeah and that was pretty amazing that was awesome and then later on in the 90s you had the you had the spider-man cartoon yeah. which was on like i think ytv or something that was also fox kids yeah and it was yeah, yeah and it was fox as well yep and like just it was a weird golden age of superhero cartoons yeah because they were all so good i mean they were kids shows but like you can enjoy them at any age you know as long as you weren't watching like the cartoons on upn like i i, I wasn't a fan of like the 90s hulk cartoon yeah, right. or like the 90s yeah. iron man cartoon or like the 90s fantastic four right but definitely like the golden age of like the the Bruce Tim Paul Dini yes. yeah. uh, DC animated universe thing uh, and, and Spider-Man, yeah. which doesn't really get mentioned now, you know, because we're all coming of age. It seems like you have you have your Batman the animated series and everything else that went with that Justice League Unlimited, you know, Superman, Batman Adventures, like those sorts of things. And then you have X-Men. Everybody seems to acknowledge X-Men mm-hmm. as like one of the cornerstone cartoons, but nobody thinks of, of spider-man i don't think really. that was my favorite one i think growing yeah. up, it touched on like so, there were so many characters and that had a pretty good run too that, right that that show well and the weird thing is is like i was reading the comics at the time but like when you start collecting comics in the 90s you're like knee deep in the clone saga yeah, that's right so a lot of like the classic origin stories I got from the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't realize for a long time that Green Goblin actually came before Hobgoblin. Yeah. Because on the cartoon, it was Hobgoblin first and then the Green Goblin. Oh, really? And I just thought that that was, that was the thing, that it was like Hobgoblin and then and then Green Goblin. But right. no, in the original comic, it was always the Green yeah. Goblin first, yeah, right? one of the first, yeah. Exactly. And like that Aerosmith um sat, like yeah, theme Steve song Perry that they did, did. Yeah. yeah 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 it was, it was crazy and like they also did like this weird like early 3D uh like graphic thing yeah that's right actually they incorporated some 3D web slinging in in that that show yeah yeah where like it would be animation and then all of a sudden he would be web slinging through like a yep. 3D town yeah which you could totally tell was like a 3D town akin to like reboot or yeah. like the old you know computer graphics for style. sure but it looked really cool yeah it did for the time yeah it was awesome uh, yeah when that show ended did you end up following it around because there was other shows that were like spider-man shows that yeah. had sort of spun off of it yeah they did like unlimited spider-man yeah or unlimited like spider-man that. was weird yeah it was a little strange i didn't love that it just couldn't compare to the the original series yeah uh, some of the not recent but maybe within the last 10 years or so like spider-man shows have been all right i think they did ultimate spider-man for a little bit yeah yeah that ultimate spider-man was cool it was pretty cool yeah 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 and like They've done episodes where they take, like, different Spider-Mans from, like, the Spider-Verse and stuff like that. There was also, and this is a symbol of the 90s. So, like, back when, like, Mainframe, the 3D studio in Vancouver, was, like, the hottest thing ever because uh, Reboot was was a thing and uh, Beast Wars was a thing. And they were both, like, super hit shows. So, like, MTV was, like, you should do, like, a 3D Spider-Man. And it was, like, Doogie Howser... Neil Patrick Harris yeah. as Spider-Man and Lisa Loeb. Oh, is she from as Mary Jane? Yeah, you, know, right. you know Lisa Loeb? Yeah. Oh yeah. Had that song. Yeah. 
you know. That's funny. I, I remember stay. that. <laughs> when I want to. I like, like that, that song. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was a weird show. Like, yeah, I yeah. remember it. Yeah, it was. It didn't last very long. No, no, it was it's only kinda... like two seasons or something. Crazy, yeah. crazy. I mean, those early shows that you just mentioned, though, like Reboot and Beast Wars. Yeah. Did you watch those? Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh man, those were good shows. Totally, and 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 like YTV carried those shows, and it seemed like at first before those shows. I was already sort of primed for 3D animation because if you watched YTV on the regular as much as I did, they would have these segments that were like little 3D animated short films. Yeah, that's right. So I would watch those. So when they had Reboot as like the first full length like 3D animated TV series, I didn't find it that weird. Yeah, like, no. I, I thought it was like the next logical yeah. step. And I mean, they, they look great for the 90s. Even today, I mean, f- for an animated show, some of them still, they hold up. Yeah, they they look yeah. all right. Those uh, things that you just mentioned, those little vignettes that were like little... Yeah. Yeah, some of those I can still yeah, vividly remember as well. There were, Some of them were just bizarre. Yeah, like, yeah, a lot of them stuff. were bizarre. It was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah no, I, I don't know. Like, like that kind of insp- experimental stuff doesn't happen on television anymore. No, like, not really. Everything is a lot more sanitized and corporatized and packaged and, yeah. you know, sort of focused group to death. Yeah, oh yeah. So, I don't know. No. So you got into superheroes through like cartoons and stuff. Yeah. And then your first exposure to comics was sort of like the independent comics sort right. of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, you start with like Louis Real, but then what else did you, did you start reading? Uh, so I think right after Louis Real, I jumped into Watchmen. I just... Wow. Yeah. Start with the top. That's right. Exactly. Because, I mean, what I heard was, you know, well, if you're going to read... You have to read Watchmen. That's, you know... And yeah, I was your it. boss like telling you like I think he told these me these are the comics, yeah, man. I think that's right. I think once I told him I liked Louis Riel, he was like, "Okay, here's some other stuff." So yeah, Watchmen was one of them. Uh, I think I started reading The Walking Dead. Oh, right after that, which it was, it wasn't new at the time. It was uh, a few trades in at least. Uh, it was pretty good though. I didn't get all the way th- through it. I, I think I dropped it. At, you know, not not too long ago, but. Oh, Invincible, because I liked The Walking Dead. Yeah, I was yeah. like, okay, Kirkman. I, I like remember when The Walking Dead first started, and I guess that was around, yeah, I don't know, like mid-2000s-ish. Right. Uh, you know, not too long after you started reading comics. My my friend uh, from high school was, was into it. He first got me into Invincible, and I'm like, wow, like this is some crazy stuff. Yeah. Because... There's there's that big moment that everybody remembers from Invincible, and I'm not going to spoil for anyone (laughs) who hasn't read it, that just, like, throws you off. Like, at that time, nothing like that had ever been done in a superhero story. That's when it's like, okay, this is is serious. Like, it just, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's early on. Yeah. uh, And, yeah, really cool. So from that, I'm like, who's this Robert Kirkman guy? Like, oh my God. And so I'm like, give me more of that. So my friend is like, well, he's got this other series. It's like the zombie series. Right. And the first like few volumes of uh, The Walking Dead are like super compelling. So good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> So eventually it sort of meanders and they don't, they don't really know how to end it. And, you know, it's just, it's just, it ends up being like, we're going from one big bad villain to another big bad villain. And it's just, it's basically like the same scenario with like different details. Pretty much. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the stuff they're doing now on the show, like, that stuff in the comics was sort of, like, their pinnacle right. of, of like, oh, my God, like, this is the best stuff. Mm-hmm. With, like, Negan. Negan was sort of, like, their Lex Luthor, their villain, whatever. Right, the big bad. Yeah, yeah. And that was sort of, like, the height of the popularity. But then after that, like, nothing really yeah. could top that. Right. So. Not yet. <laughs> I don't, and nothing, yeah, it's still going. Yeah, that's right. I really hate stories that just can't find an ending, or at least they ha- they might have an ending in mind, but they delay it because they're making too much money. Yeah, doing I know. it. It's, yeah, I mean that you know that happens. Uh, I think that's part of the business, right? To be honest, because I mean, half more than half the books out there will never end. Like X Men will never end. Spider Man will never end. Batman will never end. Right. Green Lantern will never end. Wonder Woman. 
Spawn is on its like yeah. 271st exactly. issue or something. I, I don't see that ending. I think when the you know creators who aren't working on these books anymore are gone, like someone else will pick them up and they'll just keep going. But I think what you just mentioned is just kind of a uh, like the industry. That's just the way it is, right? Uh, for better or for worse, like you know, a book might never end. Uh, a story might never end. You know, and it's because they're making money, and that's right. just like. Yeah. You know, it's one of the best things about comics and maybe one of the worst things, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, because, I mean, some comics obviously lend themselves to perpetuation, yep. but other comics do not. And, no. and I don't know if Walking Dead is one of, is yeah, one of those I, comics. Time will tell, I yeah. think, if it ever ends. Um, that one, I think, might actually. Uh, if he's going to end Invincible, then I think he might end yeah. Walking Dead. And Invincible's on its way out. Right. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. So, like, you kind of got, like, a, a little bit of a different flavor of comics. Is that what inspired you to do it as, like, a, as like a career, a profession? or? Well, I enjoyed it, you know, reading them so much. And naturally, I guess, when you enjoy consuming media, you kind of have a desire to look into how it's done, maybe. Right. Like, learn about the process and stuff like that. It was the same with music. I enjoyed listening to it so much. It was like, well, why not try making it? And I think it was the same thing with comics. It was just, you know, enjoy it so much. Let's look into how it's done. Okay. Uh, just to even further your understanding of what the medium is and right. you know, look into how you consume it. So it kind of just seemed natural to say, hey, I like reading them. Let's try making them. Did you go right into making them or did you, did you do like research on like the process? In oh, terms a lot of, of research, tons of research. Okay. Um, you know, from all the research that I did, the best piece of advice that, uh, you know, that I got was just look at the stuff you like and analyze that. Like, of course you can take uh, courses and read books on how to tell stories and how to write stories and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, the best thing you can do is, look at the stories that you enjoy and then ask yourself, why do I like this? What about it do you think is good? All right, so where did you get that advice from? I don't know. No, it's just <laughs> something that came along? Yeah, there was, uh, you know what? I, I mean, have you read Understanding Comics? I have. Yeah. I was going to ask you, yeah. have you read Understanding Comics? So that's, you know, everyone knows that's the, probably the best book you can ever read for understanding comics yeah learning how to we're make. talking about like the concept of how comics work yeah it's not it's not a drawing manual no not at all no it's it's more like the philosophy of comics yeah and like why comics work on your brain the way they do yeah it's really fascinating stuff uh but i mean that's the foundation for being able to make comics is to understand all of that stuff right um, all the technical abilities like, you know, writing and, you know, story structure and plot and drawing and stuff that can all be, you know, learned with practice. But all the stuff that Scott talks about and understanding comics, it's not as obvious, really, you know, it's stuff that you might never even think about until you pick the book up. Yeah, from understanding comics, like Scott McCloud became like the comic theorist of our time. Yeah. Like, he, he is the guy. He's made a career out of, like, comic theory. Uh, he doesn't so much make comics as as analyze comics and write books about that. Uh, I mean, he, he does. He's kind of getting back into making comics and stuff. But, but for a long time, he was just the comic philosopher guy. Yeah. That's interesting. So, you were reading a lot. You were reading books. I mean, did you pick up comics specifically because they had like scripts in the back and like th- and like uh, formats every, and stuff like every that? Every once in a while, yeah. yeah. I, uh, Image was publishing like script books for, right. for a little bit, which were pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, any chance that I could get, and still to this day that I can get, to mm-hmm. pick up a book that has a bit more information on the creative process in the back is like always. That's to me, that's a seller. So what captivated you about comics that you didn't, I guess maybe you didn't realize uh, at first? Well, I like how they can be uh, either, like how making it can be either a social process or, you know, a process of isolation. Where I came from with music, it was like, you know, if if I wanted to really make music, I kind of needed people. I needed um, either a band if I wanted all the instruments 
or an engineer or, you know, a mixing artist or a, a mastering artist, you would have to have so many people involved in the process. And of course you can do it yourself, but it's not that easy with music, with comics. All you need is a sheet of paper and a pencil, right? maybe an eraser. And then you can literally do the entire thing yourself. And I, I think I was kind of attracted to that. So, yeah, you, you there was like freedom in the isolation. Exactly. Because you'd spend so much time with, with people. Yep. yep. Okay, yeah, cool. it was nice being able to tell an, an entire story if you wanted to by yourself. You yeah. know, and even with like movies and film and TV, like you would need cameras and people to operate those cameras. And then there's editing. Like yeah. there's so many people involved in the process so you must have got really annoyed of like coordinating people's availability to that, do shit yeah yeah that can be kind of tricky yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah or like motivating people to come out and, mm-hmm. you know practice that's or, hard to do when you're in a band right. it's really hard it's really easy when you do comics so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just you totally uh, but even then if you do want to be you know have that social process you can because you can do, you know, there's pencilers, anchors, colors, letters, everything. You can get so many people involved in the process, but alternatively, you don't have to. Right. So if you want to, you can make it like a collaboration. Yep. Yep. I mean, I just came off and, and you're part of this too, I think. You're in the Toronto Comics Anthology, right? Mm-hmm. And so am I. And it's at the time of this recording, uh, it's coming out in May. And uh, it's basically a collection of uh, comic stories about Toronto basically and different writers and artists get paired together and we do like our own stories that the common theme is they're they're about Toronto Toronto features in the story somehow yeah so like I was collaborating with uh, Colton Thomas Gilson on like a true crime story and it was sort of my my one of my first collaborations I've ever had I've had smaller collaborations before mm. but I found like Sometimes it can be, especially when the way that that process is set up by, by the editors, sometimes it's like, okay, so you, you go, you write your script and then you pass it off to the artist and then you don't, you, you have no idea what's going on. So sometimes, sometimes the components of the collaboration, even though you're collaborating can happen in isolation a little yep. bit, a little bit, right? Like oh, yeah. it's not a back and forth necessarily. It can be, it can be, but sometimes it's like okay, you you wrote, he's drawing, and uh, we'll let you know when the page when the pages are exactly. Done. Yeah, you don't see it until it's ready. <laughs> you know, it's it, you know collaboration can be just as isolating sometimes. Right, right. I mean, what was your experience collaborating on uh, on Toronto Comics? This oh, amazing, year? absolutely amazing. I did a story in Volume Three. Okay. that I wrote and drew myself. Okay. Uh, so that was kind of you know an isolated project. And then in uh, volume four, Young at Heart, we've, um, I'm working with Stephanie Cook. Oh. Yeah. You, yeah. You I know, know Stephanie. Her. Yeah. She's amazing. She's really, really talented. Are you writing or drawing? No, I'm or? just drawing okay. on this one. Yeah. She wrote the script. It's a really kind of heartfelt, touching story about her family's experience uh, moving from like a war-torn European country to Canada. And yeah, it's just been a real pleasure to draw. Cool. Yeah. So how how did that work? How did the collaboration work between the two of you? Uh, there, you know, there wasn't too much. When I read her script and I started drawing it, I would ask her here and there to provide feedback on, like, I made sure I shared my inked pages with her. I think even before I sent them to the editors, I sent them to her to make sure she was happy with them. Right. Uh, and then during the process of coloring the book or coloring the story, I sent her color samples as well and said, here's, you know, three different methods of coloring. What do you prefer? Just to get her, her take on that as well. Because, I mean, she's she's a writer. It's Yeah, so she, she knows what the tone of the exactly, story is. Exactly, yeah. Because, you know, she knows. So we did some back and forth on some visual stuff. You know, that makes the process much more enjoyable. Right. Because when I know that I have the support of the writer you know, happy with the direction that the art is going, I'm a bit more comfortable and relaxed during the process. Right. So from music, like, did you always have artistic talent of drawing? Like, were you, is, or is that something you had to like train yourself how to do? No, I had to, you know, learn. Okay. Basically I, after the studio, after uh, I finished working there, I went and worked for Toronto star for a couple of years 
and it was just like an office job, you know. What were you doing for the Toronto Star? I was doing some web design for them. Okay. Um, yeah, it was, it was all right. But for the first time in my life, I was, you know, sitting in an office working and I had some spare time. I guess you get your work done early, you close your door and you can, you know, do whatever. You can browse the internet, you can read, you can have a nap, <laughs> you know, <laughs> not stuff you're supposed to be doing, of course, but whatever, you get your work done, you're good. So what I would do is just lock myself in my office and draw and just practice drawing, read books about drawing every single day, drawing. And that's where I learned in a little office working for Toronto Star. Do you think as an older dude, was it more difficult to learn than like the learning process when you were in like high school? Or no, school no, not at all. It's probably easier because there's less distractions. Okay. Because when I was, you know, sitting in my office drawing all day, not all day, but it's very motivating. Yeah. Like you said, I'm not, you know, I'm not a young guy. I had to maybe work a little bit harder, or a little bit faster than somebody else might have. So there was a lot of motivation to actually put your head down and put the work in. Okay. You know, cool. And did you train yourself like the entire process or was it just penciling? Like, take me through like how it started. Cause I mean, you, you must've had to have started from scratch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it was just at first it was just pencil, pencil stuff. And it was like, okay, I'm going to learn some anatomy is, I think that's what I started with was just really basic anatomy, simple stuff using pencil just to kind of get forms and stuff like that down. And then from there, it was, you know, okay, I've had some fun with a pencil. Uh, I'd like to get my hands dirty and try some inking stuff. It just kind of, yeah, kept progressing from pencils and then, okay, I'm going to try some inks and then, okay, we'll, we'll try colors. And then from colors, it was like, well, digital or, you know, tangible Photoshop or pencil crayon or watercolor. Like there's so many options. The whole process is a haze, <laughs> to be honest with you. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So, like, when were you confident enough to sort of try your own comics and, like, put it to paper and stuff? I I think that would have been at Comic-Con maybe 2013. Okay. It was about 2013. I had done a whole bunch of drawings and stuff like that, but, you know... This was where, like, Fan Expo or Toronto Comic Con? Actually, you know what? It might have been Fan Expo. Okay. I think I started big, like, at Fan Expo. I'd never done another of these before. Oh, yeah. So, it was kind of, you know, intimidating. But, yeah, starting at Fan Expo, I had done drawings, like, prints and stuff like that, superhero stuff. Uh, but I was told, like, you know, this is a Comic Con, you need comics. And I'm glad I was told that. Because I just, you know, I thought, well, that makes perfect sense. So maybe what I'll try doing is actually, you know, just diving in, taking a shot at writing and drawing some stuff. Right. And you had this goal of like Van Expo's coming up. Yep. I want to do something. Yeah. I want to have a comic out for Van Expo. Okay. And that's basically what Terraquil was, was just a few short stories. I knew that if I was going to start doing comics, I wasn't going to just write some long, super epic story and try and do that first it had to be small mm -hmm. so short stories seemed appropriate was it hard to get in to fan expo as like a total unknown newcomer? <laughs> no, no couldn't have been easier okay no you just have to have the table cost and you fill that out you send it in you're good okay just yeah it was super simple cool and you were going to be in like artist alley yep. right listening to speech bubble we'll be right back this episode of speech bubble is sponsored by harry tarantula go visit them at 6979 young street for their games nights they've got warhammer they've got star wars miniatures they've got dungeons and dragons and they have board games nights go to harryt.com for the schedule and enjoy some serious gaming What is Terraquil and how did the idea come to you? It's hard for me to talk about because it's, I don't know, it's always hard for me to discuss my own work, okay. I guess. Um, you're the only one who knows about that's it. That's so it though, yeah. I'll give it a shot. So it, Terraquil is a fictional uh, continent that a whole bunch of stories I've written and drawn take place on. 
so the book, which is called Terraquil Collected, okay. uh, it's just a collection of 10 short stories that I've written and drawn uh, over the past few years. I self-published it 2015 with Kickstarter. And yeah, that's all it is. It's just a collection of short stories. They're all kind of weird, inspired by old fables and fairy tales and Dr. Seuss books. He was a big influence as well. Oh. Just kind of like bizarre worlds with strange creatures. But, you know, also real people with real problems. So, where'd you get the idea from? That's a good question. Was it more like, I need a comic, so I got to come up with something? And then That was essentially it, yeah. yeah. I, a few years before this, I went to Comic-Con and Jeff Lemire was sitting there. He was... Okay. He wasn't even in the pro section at this point. He was just kind of sitting at one of the, you know, artist tables. And he had these sketchbooks there that it looked like he had maybe self-printed uh, they're, you know, small format, really small, yeah, black and white. Uh, and in the back, there was a really short comic in it with no dialogue. It was really cool. And that short comic was actually like the influence for a lot of the early Terracool stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. What was the short comic about? It was just about, it looked like a, an old cowboy sitting in the porch of his old, his old dilapidated house. And he gets into a gunfight with a man in black. And then it turns out that, you know, it was all a dream, even though, you know, at the end of the comic, you see the guy, he's sitting in the chair that the story that the story started in. Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the story, he's dead. I did a terrible job explaining that. So even though it was still a a dream, he dies. He dies. Yeah. So it was really interesting um, because it really made you look at the story. You had to reread it and then ask questions about it, which to me is the most enjoyable part of any story is, you know, getting through it and then asking all these questions afterwards and then maybe wanting to reread it or re-experience it. Yeah. Did you meet Jeff Lemire at the time? Like, yeah, I think I'm, I met him there. I yeah. talked to him for a little bit. A uh, really cool guy, super approachable, really nice. Cool. And, and then you just took one of his books and yeah. Like, what did that give you a sense of? Was it the sense of like, I can do this yep, kind of that's, thing? Honestly, that's exactly what it was because yeah. it was like, well, this guy... He's a hard worker. He's local. He's from the city. And if, you know, if he can do it, why can't I? And right. I think, you know, that attitude really helped make Tara cool. Well, and he's he's small town, right? Like, yep. it, it, when you say he's from the city, he's from, like, the Toronto area. But he's actually from, like, Essex County. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. And he did that whole amazing graphic novel, mm-hmm. which we can talk about. I guess because it's, like, small town it makes it seem more possible. It does in a way. And it shouldn't, it really, you know, it shouldn't, it should be, you know, the correct attitude would be, well, if anyone can do it, then I can do it or, you know, but it really helped that for me, for whatever reason that, you know, yeah, he was from a small town and he was at the same time local. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this guy is, you know, right in our backyards and the stories that he's doing are absolutely amazing. You know, there is no reason why, anyone who wants to do it isn't able to yeah totally so then you go and then terraquil why did you want all these stories to take place on one continent i've always been a fan of world building i think is the reason why even a lot of the video games that i i play have their own weird worlds like final fantasy metal gear solid all of these games have their own worlds based off of our worlds, but they're all kind of not. As yeah, well. like, like, like Uncharted and yep. Portal and all this weird... Yeah, it's right. crazy. Yeah, and then a lot of the books that I had read, like Harry Potter and The Dark Tower by Stephen King, all those books have their own world with their own strange creatures and funny names and weird, weird stuff going on, right? So, yeah. yeah, all the world building seemed really desirable at the time. Cool. Yeah. So what kind of stories did you want to set on this island? Uh, Basically, the ones that I told, really, just stories about people and their humanity, even though they're from this world that nobody's ever seen or, you know, there's all these strange creatures on it and stuff. Uh, But I kind of wanted to mix fantasy uh, with fables mixed with real people with real problems oh okay yeah so so like this is a world where like fantastical creatures exist with like average people yep but because it's like all they know like 
the fact that like an alien looking creature is walking by is like no is like no big deal. Yeah, it's not weird to them. Just yeah. in the same way, you know, Star Wars, it wouldn't be weird seeing a Wookiee. You'd be like, oh, it's just a Wookiee. Right. No big deal. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Did you ever play like Dungeons and Dragons? No, you know what? I didn't. And that's something that I still to this day want to sit down and have like a good weekend game yeah. at some point in time. I've never done it. Because that's, that's real, like real world building. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the stuff that I like being influenced by. So I kind of find it weird that I've never, you know, sat down and had a game of that. Yeah, yeah it's pretty crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's amazing. So like, what kind of choices did you make stylistically when it came to Terraquil? Is it just like the natural way that you draw is different from what other people do? Or were there any conscious choices that you made? Oh, everything was a conscious choice. Okay. For sure. Um, Terraquil is where I, I guess I discovered the style that I wanted to work in. And even if you read the book from front to back, you'll see the style change in a big way by the end of the book. So you think that's a good thing or you think yeah, you want to go back and that's uh, uh, hard to say. I mean, it's so subjective. I mean, when I look at it, I think, Oh my God, what was I thinking? You know, but it's gotten good feedback and I am happy with the progression that that was made with that book. Cool. And I think there's always room to grow and there's still stuff to work towards. But Is there, is there a through line? Like even though you're reading all these short stories, is there anything that carries over from one story to the next? Not so much other than the world. Okay. Some of the areas that are mentioned, there are a few things that are referenced in multiple stories, like a great war that took place that has carried over uh, through stories. And that's going to be kind of a part of the next one as well. I had a few readers asking, you know, what's up with this war? What happened? Uh, they want more information on that. So I'll probably touch on that with the next one. Cool. Yeah. Well, who are like the main characters? Do they, do, is there any recurring characters that kind of show up? Uh, not in Terracol Collected. It's all different characters. Okay. Uh, but the book that I'm working on afterwards or right now called The Bridge Builder's Creed. It's also another Terracool story, but it's a long one. It's going to be about 150 pages or so. Okay. And that's going to actually have some recurring characters from the collected. Is that going to be a collection of short stories again, or is that going to just nope. be one story? That's going to be one story. Okay. So I tried the short stories with Terracool Collected, and I had a lot of fun with those. And more importantly, I learned a lot. So now I'm going to kind of take everything that I learned there and try to tell a long story. So what did you learn from your Terraquil experience? Oh, ev everything. Everything I know about comics, you know, I pretty much learned from reading books and then practicing all that stuff. Uh, so everything that I did in Terraquil or everything that I'm capable of right now, I learned from doing Terraquil. When I do comics because I, I don't do them very often, I get in a sense where like, and, and I'm not an artist, so I, I can't really draw. I, I write. Mm -hmm. So what happens is like, sometimes I pack too much in to the script that I'm writing and it doesn't really translate to a comic on one page. Like it's going to take more pages to actually, right. to actually execute. So when you were learning that kind of stuff, like what kind of stumbling blocks did you did you encounter in terms of figuring out like pacing and like how it was supposed to work yeah i mean i had the same challenges that you just described was you know so information overload you're putting right. so much information on a page and cutting stuff out is probably one of the best things you can do mm -hmm. and that's an art form that you kind of have to learn they, i think they call it uh killing your darlings or something like that right. something along those lines um uh, and usually your story will be better for it as long as you're cutting, you know, you're being strategic. Nice. Nice. Yeah. When we were off mic a little bit, you said that like you did this, uh, you did a Kickstarter for Terraquil and that Jeff Lemaire to bring it full circle contributed to your, to your Kickstarter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did that happen? We used to share a local comic shop a few years ago, so I would see him in there and give him my early Terracool stuff. What shop was it? It was called Comics and More on the Danforth at Greenwood. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, that place. Uh, one of the best. Uh, sadly, not there anymore. He would show up every Wednesday or so to pick up books, and if I saw him in there, I would just give him some Terracool stuff. And he was really super kind and supportive, you know, for reading it and giving it shout-outs and stuff like that. Really... It really just made me kind of look at it and say, okay, maybe 
maybe there is something there. Maybe this is headed in the right direction. So you guys had sort of a tangential like mentor mentee sort of thing going on. Uh, Well, I mean, I learned a lot, maybe not from him, but from his stories, (laughs) you know, from, from reading them and, and just really analyzing them and looking at the artwork and questioning all the choices it was really cool when he supported that that project on Kickstarter. Nice. Yeah. Did you did you keep the relationship going after that or I see him on Twitter now and then, but cool. you know, that's nah. Yeah, he's sort <laughs> of a tangential connection. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, his schedule, I can't even imagine. Yeah, I don't understand how like some of these guys they work on so many books at once. Yeah. And I have no idea how they're, how they're able to juggle it. And they're all super, super high profile in demand. If you miss a deadline, people are going to be mad yep. type of bu- type of books. It's hard work. You Keep know, your head down. And I mean, it's, there's no substitute for hard work. Yeah. You it's know? like, it's like he comes to mind and like Chip Zdarsky comes to mind and these people that work on like tons of books, art and writing. Or one or the other or both. That's all at, all at once. That's right? the way to do it, to be honest. I think that what they're doing is actually the key to being happy working in comics. Explain. Uh, well, you, you, know, you might have a writer or an artist who's only doing one book. And they do that every single day for three or four years. To me, that would be, you you would get sick and tired of it. You know, it would be like, oh, I wish I could put this down and do something else. But when you're working on many books, you can. You can say, you know what, I'm going to put down character A for a little while, for a week. And I'm just going to focus on character B and C yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. So you're kind of keeping yourself refreshed, even right. though you're working on a ton of books at once. Yeah, because you're never, it's never boring. It's never boring. Yeah, you can just put something down and pick something else up. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Cool. So you're working on this this new story uh, for Terraquil, like the, the it's called the Bridge Builders Creed. Yeah, the Bridge Builders Creed. Okay, so so what is this story? This one is just about a, a, an old man who used to build bridges uh, in Terraquil, and he was part of a a group called the Bridge Builders Creed that were mm-hmm. ten of like the smartest minds in Terraquil who helped build the continent essentially creating infrastructure and bridges and stuff like that Uh, and then there was this great war everyone that he cares about including all of the bridge builders they were all wiped out um along with pretty much all the bridges in terraquil and now we're gonna be following him for a little bit as he kind of struggles to get by in, in a world where he's all alone for the first time and he's going to be traveling around trying to fix bridges and it's not going to be easy for him at all. Wow. Yeah. So it's like self-discovery through loss. It is. And like professional development. It is. Of. And it's that fear that your best days are behind you and right. that nothing will ever live up to, to your past. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully or, there's a happy ending. Or maybe you're still doing the same thing years later when yeah. everyone else has moved on. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And you're just stuck and alone and like, you know, what can you do? And in relation to Terraquil Collected, this takes place in the past? Yes and no. That's actually going to be discovered okay. a little bit more in the book. Okay. Um, I don't want to like spoil anything. <laughs> That's cool. And then in addition to uh, your comics and stuff that you do that way, you also found a way to like, you know, foster your, your love for music. You're a chiptune artist, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What What is that? Uh, well, you know, old school, like video game music. Yeah, like the know. 8-bit yep, music 8-bit stuff. stuff. Yep, that's essentially what that is, is what chiptunes are. Yeah, I think I like heard like a chiptune track on like the Scott Pilgrim yep. versus yeah, a the lot World of soundtrack. For sure. A lot of that was chiptune. Yeah. I can't really, I don't have time to play in bands to write and record music using real instruments. So why not explore other options, maybe? And chiptunes are just so much fun. I've been screwing around with those for the better part of 15 years now. So how do you do that? How do you do them? Uh, You know, Logic. It's like an audio program, right? Yeah, it's just a DAW. It's simple. It's very easy to use. Uh, There are some 8-bit plugins that you can get for free and install them and then use a keyboard or the piano roll to draw in all the notes. And it's really simple. Cool. Really easy. So what do you use? Do you use a keyboard or do you use the... I use a piano roll. So I'm okay. basically clicking and dragging a lot with... Okay. Yeah. 
It's, yeah, it's easy stuff. Though. So what goes into like making a track? Because I mean, you say it's like super easy, but I don't know if I would be able to like, <laughs> you know, incorporate all these different sounds into a thing that sounds like a video game. Yeah. Side scroller. Yeah. Well, it's actually a lot like, like the creative process for making comics as okay. well. Uh, you might just have a simple idea that you want to get off your head. So uh, you'll spend almost no time just getting it out of your head as quickly as possible. And then what you're left with is just like a mess of, of notes and sounds and stuff. And then it's all about cutting stuff out and rearranging parts and the whole process. Like I, I wish, you know, I could, I feel like I could write a book <laughs> about just everything that goes into making uh, a song with chiptunes, like, how do you find, like, the theme of the chiptune or, like, the subject matter of the chiptune? Well, it's kind of hard because there's no lyrics. Right. So, you're relying completely on melodies and rhythms. Mm-hmm. Do you already have a melody or a rhythm in mind? Or is it does it just come from, like, screwing around or jamming on the computer and then you, you hear something that you want to... Uh, add to a melody there are a few ways that it can go sometimes you have no idea what you want and then you just screw around and you're left with something that's kind of okay and then you build on that right sometimes you know exactly what you want to hear and you replicate that immediately sometimes I'll, i'll write them on a guitar like i'll pick up a guitar noodle around try and find uh some melodies and rhythms that i like and then transpose those to 8-bit. It's crazy. Yeah. So when you're thinking of the chiptune, are you also thinking of like the possible video game that this could go with? I'm only doing that if I'm doing like for hire work for an independent game developer. Okay. Uh, And you've done that before. Because I know know that Toronto has like a large independent gaming scene. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's just like the comics scene. Everyone's super cool. Everyone just wants to make and be creative. It's awesome. So like... I guess, like, do you know, like, Miguel Sternberg and, like, uh, what's his his company? It's, like, something Squid ga- Games. I don't know. I don't. He was, he's, like, he's like a pixel artist or something. I, I remember that, like, there was a bunch of video games on Kickstarter that were from Toronto that I saw. One was, like, it was, like, Russian subway dogs or something (laughs) and it was like it was like a video game about like uh these russian dogs that would like be on the subway and like they would like eat things and like that was the whole thing like you were these dogs and it was like an old school sort of side scroller type thing that sounds about right it was interesting and then there was this one that was much more like uh hp lovecraft and like uh sithaloo and and those sorts of things cool and yeah, and like they, they, I think they had like a voiceover artist who does like radio plays to like narrate the game. So like whenever you did something in the game, it would be like, and he opened the door, <laughs> yeah, like, right. like that kind of thing, <laughs> and a lot more spookier than I can do. Right. So like, what do you love about like indie games? I mean, we were talking off off the top that you're you're a kind of a big gamer, but the indie game thing is like a whole different thing, right? Yeah, indie games have really kind of... I don't know that they've came into prominence, but they are, I think, uh, over the last five or so years. I mean, there's always been independent games. Some of the biggest games you can imagine have been independent games at one point in time. Mm -hmm. But Like Minecraft. Yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah. Like just absolute insanity, the success that game has had. Uh, And there are so many that are to me better than AAA titles out there right now i haven't had a chance to score any of them yet but you know hopefully one day it's you know there there are so many out there but you have done for higher work yeah so how does that work like when somebody somebody just present you with a game and then they're like think of the music for this game yeah more or less and sometimes not even that they'll say we have an idea for a game uh, and this is, you know, they'll send me maybe a description and some YouTube links to other sounds or um, soundtracks that they, they like. And then I'll have a listen to those and try and uh, hit the nail on the head for what they're looking for. So usually, yeah, they just get in touch with me. So here's, we need, you know, five levels. We need a cave level. We need a volcano level. We need an underwater level, stuff like that, yeah. uh, to break it down in really basic terms. Like that's you know. Yeah, and it seems like, especially when you 
when you think of like eight bit games like Mario or like Super Mario World, like every level level had its own sound, right? Exactly. Where yeah. like if it was an underwater level, like the bubbles would sort of be incorporated into for it. sure, and that's kind of you know you want to do stuff like that. Yeah. If you're doing a forest level, you might want to use literal bird chirps as an instrument, <laughs> you right? Know? Right. Yeah, Donkey Kong Country 2 did that incredibly well. Yeah. Yeah, that soundtrack is one of my favorites, I think. Yeah, that's an amazing game as oh, well. It's so such good. a great game. Yeah. And then, like, you know, when you're in the castle, like, you, you know you're in the castle, right? Yeah, it's maybe a bit spookier. There's some, like, drips and a lot of reverb and ambience and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the levels themselves are characters, and you need music to go along with that. Yeah, you know? totally. Do you like the nostalgia aspect? Because, I mean, 8-Bit is a very specific, you know, music composition for a very specific kind of game, right? right. So chiptunes only work for, like, that old-school nostalgic type of, type of game, right? Yeah, I mean, it's subjective. I've seen some 3D animated games with chiptunes that absolutely kill it. Okay. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, you probably want to pair... Uh, the audio and the graphics as well as you can and that probably means pixel art for for 8-bit stuff yeah so like does that mean that like is your nostalgia as strong when you're doing chiptune is that part of the attraction for being a chiptune composer is like nostalgia for the old games it's it's hard to say but i'm gonna say yes i think just because Obviously, I grew up with all this stuff, right? So it's hard not to be nostalgic about it. Even mm -hmm. if I tried, I don't think I could. Uh, or I don't think I could not be nostalgic about it. So yeah, I'll say that's has a big thing to do with it. Is there any crossover? I, I'm sure there's a lot of crossover in terms of the fandom when it comes to Toronto's independent gaming scene and the independent comic scene. I know that there's a lot of people who do comics who also are very interested in games, like Ricky Lima, one of our past guests. I think he's messed around with doing music for games and stuff like that. I love Ricky. So, <laughs> everybody loves Ricky. Yeah. I love Ricky. <laughs> so, I mean, is what is the relationship, would you say, between the independent gaming scene in Toronto and the independent comic scene? Uh, there is a little bit of a crossover. I actually, I was just approached two days ago by somebody, a friend of mine who's an ind independent game developer, and he's looking to do an online webcomic about his game as supplemental material Okay. Uh, for its launch. So, yeah, I mean, in ways like that, for sure, there would be, you know, crossovers. So some people approach you to do art for their games. Yeah, too. yeah, that happens once in a while. Oh, cool. Yeah, designs and stuff like that. Uh, illustrations, environments. That's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. And I find, like, the people that are into games, they're into comics, too. There's sort of a pop culture nostalgia yeah, and sure. stuff like that. Yeah, there's, like, a cultural crossroads with comics and games. I love it. I mean, I think, you know, that's why when we go to comic conventions and and fan expos and stuff like that, they have entire setups for games because right. fans of each might be fans of both kind of thing. Right. So what are what are your hopes and aspirations for both your comic career and your chiptune career? Do you, do you want to, like, sell both in the mainstream? Or, like, what, what do you see yourself doing in terms of the future? Uh, so for chiptune stuff, I... I kind of want to just keep doing what I'm doing. I'm really enjoying uh, just almost doing chiptunes as a supplemental job where it's, you know, I don't do it every single day. I can kind of put comics down and do chiptunes mm -hmm. and that, so it's kind of like a good break from comics. So I'm pretty happy with where I am for that. Uh, maybe uh, for comics though, I think I'd like to focus more on writing a little bit. Okay. Uh, only really write and draw my own work um, and then do writing for other publishers. So that's kind of where I want to be in the next five years, I'd say. But for right now, I couldn't be more happy with where I am. Does the collaboration that you had with Stephanie um, for the story in Toronto Comics Anthology, does that make you hungry for more collaboration in general? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I am doing like a lot of collabs right okay. now with like Samurai Grandpa, which is in the works at the oh, moment. Tell me about that. Uh, we did a Kickstarter for that. A, a guy named Easton Deverna okay. from uh, New York. Him and I, we did an issue uh, about a year back. 
Uh, it's a, like an old samurai story about an old grandpa who was one of the best warriors in the world who put his blade down and retired. And then he goes home to find his son murdered. And now he has to pick up his blade and find out what's going on and maybe go on one last adventure kind of thing. wow it's like a samurai john wick it is yeah yeah it, very much so so it's been so much fun working on that uh, we did a first issue last year and then we kick-started it for a full 125 page book and that's what i'm working on right now cool so that's kind of fulfilling the collaboration aspect of comics so yeah i'm pretty happy so this is going to be like an actual like physical book that people are going yeah. to be able to get? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we funded the whole thing. It's going to be... Oh, I can't remember if we raised enough for a, a hardcover. If it, Yeah, it's either going to be paperback or hardcover, uh, full color, painted pages. Should be cool. Wow. I, w- I want to get in on that. When's yeah. it come here? <laughs> well, I'm, half, I'm about halfway done the pages right now, and it's been about a month and a half of work so far. So we're going to be looking at end of spring, early summer. That's awesome. Yeah. Just the title. Samurai Grandpa. Like, yeah. I, I need to read this. Yeah. There's, yeah. It, it's hopefully, I mean, I've, I've read the script, obviously I've, you know, it's going to be fun. It's something that I would want to read, which automatically makes it fun to work on. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you find it's a big risk? Like, cause people are always sometimes telling me like, if you're going to get into comics and you're going to do like a big comic thing, like don't do a graphic novel. Cause what's going to happen is like, you're going to get bored midway through or your style is going to change midway through mm-hmm. and it just, it's too ambitious and you shouldn't do it. But it sounds like you've done a lot of large books. So tell me like, d- does it matter? Like what, what do you, do you get bored doing graphic novels? I, I see. I don't think you get bored. I okay. just think it's, it would take you considerably longer to write. Like if you're going to start off writing a huge full story is going to take way longer than writing short stories. Right. Cause you might not know exactly what you're doing. Doing short stories first is a great way to learn. Right. You kind of hedged your bets. With exactly. Well, correct. Collected. That, right. That, that's it. Is I started small and then you work up to big. I don't think starting with a huge ambitious story that's taken you three years to come up with is a great place to start yeah i think maybe yeah start small do some little projects first right totally cool yeah that's awesome man well um where can people find you what are the next things that you're going to be doing um that people should watch out for so i'm on twitter at sean daily and that's mostly what i use it's just the easiest form of communication and on Instagram at Sean underscore daily, which is where I post most of my art. And, stuff nice. like that. and then what I'm working on that people can look out for is mostly just the bridge builders creed, uh, and samurai grandpa. I've been posting a ton of samurai grandpa stuff online recently, like desk shots from, you know, while I'm working. Nice. And so keeping up to date with that stuff is easy using Twitter. And then for bridge builders creed, all of that is published online for free as well. So the entire story is, is going to be on my website for free. You can read it. You can download it, do whatever. And is then, it up there yet? Uh, the first two parts are. So there's five parts. I just released the second part. Uh, so that can all be read for free. And then as new parts are finished, they'll be uploaded. And then once it's all done, it'll the whole thing will be online for free. And then I'll do a Kickstarter for a physical copy. When you're doing a webcomic, is it... Is it a, like you, you release a lot of stuff for free. Is it, is it hard to like make money for like web comics? And oh stuff? yeah. I'm not making any, any yeah, money yeah, off yeah, of that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, so. that's all just done because I need, you know, I just want to get it out there. I just want people to read it. Um, right. And then it's kind of a therapeutic exercise. It is. For you. It completely is. And it's a great learning opportunity. And then when the whole thing is done, and that's what I did with the original Terraquil too, was I did all the mini stories, put them all online for free. And then when it came time, people wanted a, a paperback collection. So hopefully it'll be the same with this. Once the whole thing is online for free, you can read it. You can decide whether you want a physical copy and then I'll make sure you get one. Yeah. But they'll be paying for the physical. That's copy. right. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So the, I guess the only other thing I want to talk to you about is like, uh, Joseph was one of the people that turned me on yeah. to you. And since he audio edits this podcast and will probably be listening to this, yeah. he's the only person who it's like guaranteed listens to every episode of this podcast. <laughs> so what, how did you guys come together? What, what did you work on? 
Well, first of all, hi, Joseph. I hope you're doing well. Uh, and we worked on a, a zombie story called The I Am Grim. It was really... It was oh, a, yeah, he told us yeah, about that. It was a really neat idea. Uh, it was one of the first uh, full 22 or so page stories that I did okay. like a few years ago. And working with him was so much fun because he knew exactly what he wanted. You know, he was very particular about a lot of things and in the best way possible. It made the process quick. Uh, it made it easy and it made it fun. So, yeah, working with him was awesome. Good story. It was, yeah, cool. He found you through, like, DeviantArt or? I don't know, actually. That that was so long ago. It might have been something like Reddit or yeah. I post my work on there quite often. Interesting. Yeah, might have been that, but yeah, it was a good experience. Cool. And it was interesting that you guys were both local because usually it's like, you know, one person is living in one country and one person yeah. is living in the other, especially when it comes to the internet. Yeah, that's right. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, it was awesome. Well, man, thank you for coming in. Yeah, This thanks. has been great. Like I loved, I think what I loved about this was being able to hear about independent comics, but then also hear about this whole other world of like chiptune and video games and that sort of thing that is sort of similar to to ind the independent right comics yeah thing. very similar and yeah. I, I love talking about that stuff so anytime just like let me know yeah yeah totally man yeah so uh yeah we'll get you in here again but for now we'll see you next time on speech bubble see ya Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one -on -one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. See you next time. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. This episode of Speech Bubble is sponsored by Harry Tarantula at 6979 Young Street. They sell comics and games to bright and imaginative people like you. So go there for your comics fix and go there for their games nights that happen all week. Check harryt.com for the schedule and tell them Aaron sent you.